Uh, we're going to be in Hosea chapter 12, so if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Hosea chapter 12. We look at Hosea, we remember the backdrop for the book of Hosea is the first three chapters. Hosea's life was an illustration of God's relationship with the northern kingdom and a warning to the southern kingdom. So we, we lay out this backdrop. Everything we look at from chapter 4 through the end of the book is going to be, in one way or another, foreshadowed by Hosea marrying a prostitute, her being unfaithful, her ultimately running away from him, having uh, children out of wedlock that Hosea cares for, ultimately uh, finding herself unwanted and uh, in slavery and Hosea going back to Redeemer. Uh, From chapter 4 through 10, we talked about the sin, the iniquity of the people. So God has specific charges of the sin of the nation of Israel that correlates to Gomer. Remember the concept we talked about last week is if we look at the story of Hosea and we see ourselves as something other than the prostitute in the story, we're missing the point. So the Lord laid out the, the iniquities of the people. And then in chapter 11, we had an invitation to the love of God. And we know the end of the story, right? We know there's a day when redemption is coming. We know there is a time when God will redeem his unfaithful wife, the unfaithful bride that we see uh, in the nation of Israel. So he begins to talk about that. Now, chapter 12 and 13, if you remember last week, I told you they're going to be history lessons. So, you know, we want to be able to learn from history, particularly biblical history. We want to understand why are those stories there? What was the point of those stories? And what am I supposed to do with them? And so as good students of the Bible, we read the Bible from cover to cover. And that's our goal every year. And as we do that, we are going to become more and more familiar with the history and the examples that the Lord's going to draw from. So we see it beginning for us in Hosea 12, verse 1. It says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. Uh, That word, Ephraim feeds on the wind, it can also be translated shepherd. It's like the idea of feeding is the same concept. He's trying to do that which cannot be done. So Ephraim, remember, is a prominent city of the northern kingdom, the nation of, of Israel. And the Lord is saying Ephraim is his, what marks him is he's always trying to do that which can't be done. Can anyone shepherd the wind? Can we control it? Can we take care of it? Can we do all these things? No, the point is you can't do it. But all day long, scripture would indicate that the Lord lifts out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So here he's laying it out. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. So they're determined to do that which is impossible, can't be accomplished. They're wasting their time. They're deceiving. They multiply falsehood and violence. This is what happens when we reject the authority uh, of God, we reject that foundation that we hold to that is God Almighty. How do I know what I ought to do? What is the 
my purpose on earth, we're looking somewhere else for all of that stuff, then we will multiply falsehood and violence. Because the natural bend of man is not going to be uh, what it ought to be. Here he lays out, this is their, this is their problem. They're filled with deception. Then they have dependence on Assyria. They make a covenant. They made a peace treaty with their enemy. Can you make peace with your enemy? Can't. Well, it didn't work. They made a peace treaty. They sent Assyria a bunch of money. They made promises. Assyria still came, slaughtered them all, put them on posts, stuck them on, on spears all along the highway, conquered, destroyed, and made them slaves. Can you make peace with sin? Can you make peace with the, the worldview in opposition to God? Jesus said, you are either for me or is there neutral ground? So we need to overcome the myth of neutrality, the idea that there's some neutral ground where we can have peace with the enemy. There's no peace with the enemy. There's surrender to Christ, following Christ, or the Bible lays out for us that if you are not for me, you're against me. If you are not uh, working alongside Christ, you are scattering. You are trying to destroy or you're trying to uh, build up. And so here, the same, he said, they, made a, they tried to make a covenant with the enemy. And we know from history that doesn't work. You can't make covenant with, the, with Assyria. And then uh, oil is carried to Egypt. So they, they made uh, economic uh, ties with Egypt, which also is not going to work. Because they are in hope that, well, if Assyria doesn't, keep their peace treaty with us surely, surely the people we sell oil to they don't want us to get conquered Egypt don't care if you can't sell us olive oil we'll get it somewhere else so all the things that they were putting their hope into were problems for the northern kingdom and things that led them into uh, familiar territory. So God's going to rehearse a, a history lesson with them. <clears throat> he begins it in verse 2. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, when the Old Testament in particular calls Israel Jacob, it's because they're out of fellowship. They're in a place of, uh, they're walking in their old nature, Right? So when we get saved and we're walking with Christ, there are times where we're in step with the Lord and we're walking in the spirit. And there are times we're out of step and walking in the flesh, right? So we have two natures. We have the old man and the new man. The old man in Old Testament speech would be Jacob. The new man is Israel. So when the Lord says, look, Jacob, I'm going to punish Jacob according to his ways. Remember, we talked about this. In the Bible, the story is there are two roads. The, the finish line on one road is death, and the finish line on the other road is life. So the whole call of the Lord and of wisdom is to draw people to the path of life, right? That's why Lady Wisdom says, come follow me. That's why Jesus said, come follow me. This is a path that leads to life. Follow me <laughs> 
come this way. So he's saying, look, there's going to be punishment for Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. And then we have the history lesson. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. So from the beginning, when Jacob was really, I don't, I don't know if children in the womb have thought. I, I, I don't remember any. <clears throat> but the Bible here says, Jacob, hey, from the womb, he took his brother's heel. It's like trying the picture of trying to get ahead. How? On his own. Now, maybe we can just kind of push that illustration out of the way for a minute. It's just a baby. But it's a pattern we're going to see over and over again in Jacob's life, isn't it? In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he wrestled with God. He first wrestled with his body from the womb. You remember when his mother was pregnant, the Lord said, there are two nations at war in your belly. So they were wrestling from the beginning. Well, here we see the other thing that the Lord says is, is that he not only did he strive with man, he strove with God. So what are his characteristics? Taking matters into his own hands and trusting in his own ability. And ultimately, the blessing of God is going to stop him from being able to do that. Right? Being able to lean into his own strength. In verse 4, he says, He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So he's referring back to the confrontation that takes place at Bethel. Now you remember, Bethel's famous for a lot of things. And if we're good students of the word, we should be familiar with a lot of the history of Bethel. Bethel got its name because Jacob had a dream there. You remember? And he saw, we, we call it Jacob's Ladder. He saw angels ascending and descending on this ladder, and he woke up the next day, and he said, Surely God is in this place, and I knew it not. So he named the place Bet-El, the house of God. Now in Hosea, God renamed it. He calls it Beth-Avon, the house of wickedness, because the people are not following God. They are professing God on one side of their lips and worshiping false idols on the other. And the Lord says that is like an unfaithful wife who is not true to her husband. Well, the story of the struggle when Jacob strove with God, we see in Genesis 32, we'll pick it up about verse 24. It says, and Jacob was left alone. Now, if we don't know what's happening, Esau's coming. Jacob's a little bit freaked out. Esau, my brother's coming. I, last time I saw him, I ripped him off. So he, he might, you know, want to bring harm. So he was sending him gifts. And he put half of his family at one place and half of his family in the other place. Which um, So he separated his wives. And he hoped that if, if Esau went for one half, he could save the other half. If he went for the other half, then he could save the other half. You see, he's scheming all the way through. And after he made all the plans he could make, Scripture says Jacob was left alone. 
And a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, where is this happening? Bethel. Why did, he, why did Jacob call that place Bethel? He said, surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. The scripture says he wrestled with a man. Now, not everyone agrees that he's wrestling with God here. It doesn't really matter to me in the story if you want it to be an angel or you want it to be God. It, it's, you have the same problems either way. Uh, like, did Jacob really prevail with an angel? No. Any more than he prevailed with God. But the Bible says he was wrestling and he prevailed. Yeah, like my three-year-old grandson prevails with me. Right? Have you never? You've, we've all wrestled with our grandkids, right? And sometimes our grandkids are on top, and they're. And the the whole point of the story is that Jacob wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop wrestling. He kept coming and kept coming. And usually, when you're wrestling with your grandkids, there's a point where you say, "Okay, okay, okay." Yeah, there's usually tears right after that moment, right? Occasionally. There's tears for me because then I tie him in a knot and say, look, the old man's done now. If you keep coming, I'm going to tie you in a tighter one. He lays out the Lord is, is he is prevailing. He's, he won't stop. He won't quit. Says when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he did what? He touched his hip. The scripture says he touched his hip and his hip came out of joint. One angel killed 186,000 Assyrians, roughly uh, maybe, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years from this point, not from Jacob, from Hosea's time. So I don't think an angel would have had a hard time with Jacob either, just so you know. If you're in a cage match with an angel, you're not going to do any better than, than what those guys did. But I think he's wrestling with the Lord, and I think the Lord is going to bless him. You see, the scripture lays out for us. He wrestled with him, and he would not stop. It says it touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip went out of joint. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, no, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. What is your name? What is your name? He wants to know the name of the one with whom he is wrestling. Uh, or the angel says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Remember that the title for the one that is in disobedience with God, the deceiver. His name means liar, heel catcher. And so he says, what is your name? And he says, Yaakov. Then he said, oh, you won't be Jacob anymore. You get a new nature. Now you will be Israel. One governed by God. So the, the basic idea laid out for Jacob is this. One, when he's wrestling, I believe he's wrestling with God. When he's wrestling with God, at just the right moment, the Lord takes his strength. You ever tried to do anything without your hip in joint? How about this? You ever had your hip hurt? It's, just, it's all us old people shaking our heads. Don't worry, your time's coming. You're not doing anything without your hip. Nothing. He took Jacob's physical strength. He took Jacob's physical prowess. 
the idea that somehow he would save half his family if Esau went to the other half, is, how's he going to run? You ever try to run without a hip? He's not riding a goat. You ever ride a goat without a hip? Or a horse or a mule or a donkey or anything else? Everything that was part of Jacob's plan of how he was going to take care of himself, God took away. And then he called him governed by God. Because you have wrestled with the Lord and prevailed. You wouldn't quit. You wouldn't stop. So you, the blessing is he takes away his physical strength. We don't always look at the blessings in our life that way, do we? We think the blessing is when he gives us physical strength. But in this case, the blessing is that he's going to, he's going to take it away. And there God spoke with him. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So Jacob says to him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Why do you call it Peniel? For I have seen God face to face and lived. So who's Jacob say he's wrestling with? <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I think. So it says the sun rose up. He passed Penuel limping from his hip. And for the rest of his life, his hip was never the same again. So the Lord is referring back to this thing. He's giving them this history lesson. And he's saying, you remember Jacob met God at Bethel. It was in the struggle against God that Jacob learned to be governed by God. Where Jacob learned, I have to trust in the Lord. And this is what's going to happen in the judgment that God's bringing on the northern kingdom for both north and south. They're going to learn to trust God. Because there's nothing else they're going to be able to do. He goes on in verse 6 now and he says, So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. And you, wait, return. By the help of your God, hold fast the plea from God to change directions. Why should you die, O Israel? The Lord has spoken through the prophets. Why should you die? Return and live. Why should you continue down this road toward your own destruction? Return and live. You don't have to go that way. God's challenging them to take a new direction. And he's challenging them. Not only is he saying take a new direction, but he's saying with my help. He's not even asking them to do it. Is there something we can do to save ourselves? No. What he's asking is for them to return to him. Turn to me and God will give you what you need. He will strengthen you for the journey, for the battle laid out before you. <clears throat> then he tells them to hold fast to love 
and to justice. We talked a little bit about this last time, and we'll talk about it again. But part of the challenge, especially in the Old Testament uh, um, minor prophets, is the challenge of language, right? Hebrew and English are two different languages. And just like English, we use phrases certain ways, so did they in Hebrew. And one of the challenges, we talked a little bit about this, is the word chesed. Chesed, that means a faithful love or mercy or kindness. It, it actually means all of those things. All of those things in, in one package. The, the fulfillment of all that God uh, all that God is, all that God wants us to, to be able to walk in. In Micah 6, 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require, but you do justice. We're supposed to do right. Now, whose justice are we doing? United States? Oh, just so you know, that's not justice. Whose justice? Who's, whose word do we obey? So we obey God. So he says, do justice. Walk in my statutes. Walk in my ways. Follow my directions. Right? Do those directions save us? No, Jesus Christ saves us. But that direction is what we do when we have Jesus Christ guiding us. We go where he goes. We follow him. So as he's following him, he says, do justice and love kindness. Some translations say love mercy. Chesed. Faithful love, true love, love kindness, walk humbly before your God. How do, we, how do we enter into a relationship with God? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That was the picture of the prayer, right? The picture of the prayer that Jesus talked about was a sinner coming before the Lord, beating his breast, asking God to have mercy on him, a sinner. And Jesus said that man left justified. That's the attitude. That's a humble man, right? The proud man, he stands there and says, Lord, I'm sure glad I'm not like those people. That guy didn't leave <clears throat> justified. So we want to hear the, the call from God to return, hold fast to love and justice. And then he says, and wait continually for your God. What if he doesn't come? You keep waiting. What if he's if what if he's late? God's never late. He doesn't run on our timetable, does he? Have you ever set a, a date for God? Lord, you have to do this by this time. Have you ever done that? Lord, if you if you're gonna save me, Lord, you gotta do it by Friday. That's almost a dead giveaway that it ain't coming by Friday. Right? And how many times have we set the date and still seen the Lord show up? Yeah. Wait continually on the Lord. Now, I don't want you to think of this as waiting by looking out a window and waiting for someone to come. I want you to think of this as a waiter in a restaurant. Wait on the Lord. I once ate at this Fanciest restaurant I ever ate out of my life. Me, me and Kathy were doing. I was I was selling insurance, and I for the place I worked for, I was top dog once. 
was never top dog again. But when I was top dog that month, they took me to this crazy, I never been in a place like this. So crazy, fancy, super expensive restaurant that I didn't have to pay for, so it all sounded good. But there was a dude standing behind me, and we're in a table, maybe there's eight or 10 of us at this table. And this guy standing behind me literally would look at everything I was doing and, and try to guess what I'm gonna need next. And then show up with it. You know, if I was looking for butter, he'd come running up with butter. It's butter, sir. If, it, if I finished off my water, he's there with a pitcher of water to put. He was a waiter. And I'd never been like, it's not like Denny's, you know. Which is not, no, no bad thing on Denny's. There's waiters there too. But, uh, but this, this is what he was in tune with whomever he was serving. When the Bible challenges us to wait on the Lord, it's a challenge for us to be in tune with the one we're serving. What am I to do for you now, Lord? Where do I go? What do I do? What do I, where do I need to put my efforts? Wait on the Lord. Don't ever stop. Wait on him. Serve the Lord. Have continual dependence on him. Now, verse 7, we see the pride of Ephraim. It says, a merchant in whose hands are f false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, oh, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. Well, the Lord just named them. He just did it for six chapters, in case that wasn't enough. He also said, you are a merchant with false balances balances you're taking advantage of others the lord says he he hates false balances that means like you're you're ripping somebody off while you're making a deal with them you know you you've got a balance for selling and a ba different balance for buying so the the lord is saying you have false balances and you love to oppress you take advantage. You love to bring people down. But Ephraim said these words, just like Laodicea. Oh, but I am rich. I have need of nothing. There's nothing wrong with me in all my labors. You can't find anything at all wrong in me. But the Lord said to Laodicea, you remember, you don't know that you're poor, blind, and naked. You think you're rich, but you're not rich. You think you have it all. And you see the picture, right, where he talked about Jacob and Jacob trying to make his own deals in his own way and figure everything out. And Ephraim, now he's putting beside Jacob in the illustration. And he's saying, as a, as a nation, the northern kingdom, this is how you are acting. You are your own savior. You've got all the deals. You know how it's going to work out. But you're, you're corrupt. You're trying to cheat people. But you have no shortage of confidence. No shortage of confidence. But confidence doesn't do anything. Confidence is not going to help them in this situation. They're, they're confident that Assyria is not going to come. But they're wrong. Assyria is coming. We have the, the benefit of knowing what happens. So in verse 9... The Lord speaks, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you to dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I'm going to take you back 
to where we started. So the Lord, you know, the Lord is in his uh, loving kindness and mercy. He's not throwing the people away or casting them off. He's saying, I'm going to take you back to Egypt. You forgot the lessons of Egypt. I'm going to put you back in tents. We're going to go back to the beginning. I don't know if the Lord's ever done this to you, but the Lord has done this to me. Where he says, yeah, you know what, Jackie, you're getting a little too far out there. Let's go back a few steps. Let's go back. I had all these goals. I had to own a house at a certain time. I, I've shared with you guys before. I <clears throat> I worked in, uh, uh, what do you call it? Ro I worked roads. That's not the word. So anyways, it doesn't matter. Nobody really cares. But. I, I basically I worked on every freeway in California. I worked prevailing wage. So this is back in 89, 90, something like that. I made more money in 1990, 91 than I've ever made any other time in my life. Back then, uh, I was getting paid 38 to 40 dollars an hour. Working freeways working construction i could have done that the rest of my life i had two boats that i never put in the water my wife always makes fun of them oh those weren't that nice of boats she don't know don't i had two chris crafts you know what a chris craft is yeah i had two. Oh, i had all these great dreams we had cars, and we had motorcycle, and we had all this stuff. And one day the Lord said, Jackie, uh, you forgot me. We're going to go back to tents. And they took all that stuff away. Just a series of unfortunate events. One after another, after another, after another. It doesn't take very long. And we're starting over again. No house. No cars. We actually went to go buy a car with 300 bucks. You know how good a car you can get for 300 bucks? <laughs> we went to go buy a car for 300 bucks in Yucca Valley. We're driving over and noticing all these uh, sirens. We get close and it's, uh, they're stopping traffic and they say, it's firemen and th there's a house on fire. And, and we say, oh, well, we're just going to such and such address to to buy a car they have for sale. And the guy says, you ain't going there tonight. Well, how come? It's on fire. <laughs> I said, you didn't see a car anywhere around the, the outside, did you? <laughs> he said, no, I seen a car in the garage, though, and it's not going to make it through this one. So we didn't even get that one. We, But the Lord took it. Now, for Kathy and I, some of our fondest memories was relearning the things we had forgotten. We had all the success and all this other stuff, and we, we, we got to live for a while with money. It was fun. And then the Lord took it away, and we started over. And we built it all back and remembered the lessons that we had forgotten. This is what God is doing with the northern kingdom. He's reminding them of the lessons that they had forgotten. Verse 10, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, 
they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. In Hosea 6, 8, the Lord said, Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. He talks about the, the events. If you, if you understand the Bible, you know a couple of things happened in Gilead. One of them we've talked about out of the book of Judges. Another one was that's where Jacob, Laban caught Jacob when Jacob was leaving after he had changed his wages 10 times and taken advantage of him and he worked nearly 20 years for two wives and, and some of the, the goats uh, that, uh, that ended up being his. We don't want to get into the spotted and the speckled, but you guys know the, basically the story. And Laban meets him there and they do Mizpah. Which you guys, some people wear those necklaces. You know, they're a necklace split in the middle. And it says something like, the Lord uh, watch over you when we're apart. And people use it for a romantic thing. Yeah, it's not romantic. <laughs> it's like, if I ever see you again. <laughs> they split and they're like, I'm not coming to you. You don't come to me. The Lord watched between us while we're apart. If you do something wrong, God will get you. You know, so it's kind of that kind of a, a deal. And so the Lord is saying, Gilead is a city of evildoers. It's tracked with blood. Its history is a bloody history of men taking advantage of one another. And it remains that way even now. Even now. In Gilgal, uh, Hosea 4.15, Hosea spoke of it, said, Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, which is the name God gave Bethel, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in the pasture? <coughs> Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. All these places rich in history have become places now of wickedness. And so the Lord uses that example. And he says in verse 12 of Hosea 12, Jacob fled to the land of Aram, and there Israel served for a wife. For a wife, he guarded sheep. That's when Jacob went to Laban, and he worked seven years for one wife and got the wrong one. And then he worked seven years for the right wife and got the wrong one. If you know the story, you should know that. And then he worked six more years for some of the sheep. Twenty years he worked there in Aram. He tended sheep so that he could get a wife. That was his goal. Verse 13, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. By a prophet, he was guarded. So here's the example. Jacob went down and he did all this work and he to to get a wife and start a family and ultimately from that the lord's going to build the nation from egypt god says i sent a prophet now that prophet's that prophet's moses remember moses said there's a prophet like me coming to him you need to listen jesus when he came said moses if you believed moses you'd believe me for he spoke of me he, he, is, he is that prophet through which the Lord is speaking. So the Lord brought up Israel from Egypt by a prophet. He was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. 
So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and repay him for what he has done, for his disgraceful deeds. So the history is Jacob's done this. The nation of Israel has done this. The same judgment that came upon Jacob is going to come upon Israel. That thing which they felt was their strength, God's going to take away. And when he takes it away, will there be those who will lift their eyes, humble themselves, beat their breasts, and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And those that God will redeem. For the day of his redemption is coming. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, our continuing study through the book of Hosea. As we just take a look at this example, the illustrations from history where, my goodness, we just keep making the same mistakes. And on one hand, it should give us a measure of hope because when we read Romans chapter 7, Paul himself, he says, listen, I'm, who's going to save me from this body of death? The things I ought to do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. And he, he uh, proclaims, he heralds, he preaches, he calls out and says, it's Jesus Christ who has set me free. It's not something I do for myself. It's something Jesus Christ has done. I put my faith and trust, my hope in him. I thank God there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, you have purchased us from sin, just like Hosea purchased Gomer back. You wrote about it in the Old Testament prophets so that we can see an illustration of the redemption that you would bring. I know, Lord, there's a day when you will do this also for the nation of Israel. I believe, Lord, that the nation of Israel will one day acknowledge you as her Messiah. God, I'm so thankful for the examples that we have, the rich history that we have looking in the Old Testament and comprehending with all the saints what is the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, we give you praise and we give you glory for it. And we ask that you would bless this time, bless our time of fellowship and bless our time going back out into this crazy world. May we enter in with a hope of a savior who is mighty to save. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.